Key Aero, your aviation destination. Historic Aviation. Hello and welcome to the inaugural My Dream Historic Aircraft Hangar. Today we have ex-Red One, Simon Mead, with us and he's going to reveal what aircraft he would have if money was no option. Good morning, how are you? Uh, fire away. So what would be in, uh, say, sixth place in your list? Oh, I don't know if I rate them, but I think that the first one would be the Hawk. So I've got a couple of thousand hours flying the Hawk T1. It's a sports car. It's a lovely airplane to fly. Whether you're flying in formation, you're going high level or low level, it's a very versatile, capable airplane. Very soft on the controls, very responsive. Great airplane to fly. So yeah, definitely a Hawk T1 would be in the hangar. And say, coming from your background as an ex-Harrier pilot, it never felt like it was a downgrade to go from a Harrier to a, a No, aircraft. different. Because you, you sit in an operator Harrier, whereas you, you sort of strap on a Hawk and... You know, it's almost one on each foot. What would the car equivalent be then? Can you imagine? So if you said the Hawk sports car. You're going from a, a fairly sporty, large Audi, sort of an A5, A6 type Audi, but sort of the S level, to a 911. Because the hair is big, it is responsive, but you're generally carrying lots of stuff, so it's not that responsive. Whereas the Hawk is always nimble and capable. And it's as much perspective as anything else. In the Harrier, you've got a lot of airplane in front of you, got a big nose, got a lot of in- instrumentation in the cockpit ahead of you. Um, whereas the Hawk, especially the T1, there's not very much instrumentation. It's a, it's a sort of 60s design airplane. And there's no nose, really, that you can see. So all you can see is the wind shield ahead of you, and that's it. So you really are at the front of everything you do. So it feels as if you're flying yourself rather than flying an airplane. Okay, what's next? Next, I guess we need to put the Harrier. Now, I've flown three, four different types of Harrier from the uh, Hawker Siddeley designed lightweight aircraft, which was a dream to fly. And learning that when I was 20 years old was just a manner from heaven. You know, taking off, off strips at RF Wittering being trained where you've got a, a strip of only 200 feet ahead of you and you've got this airplane that weighs 15 tons. You know, it's big boys' toys, really, but lightweight single-seat airplane of that ilk. If I put the throttle forward, move my hand to the nozzle lever and rotated it backwards, that short movement of my hand from one to the other an inch has never made the rotation speed. The rotation speed at lightweight was 65 knots. So not to 60 as far as I could move my hand from one lever to another. It was astonishing. And it never, never tired of that. And what you could do with the airplane, landing on short strips, landing uh, on the grass, landing on pads, was fantastic. I was fortunate enough, our war role, of course, in the Cold War was to operate. The reason why it was so versatile is because it had to be, because um, our war role was to move constantly with the battle. So we would operate off roads, off fields, off uh, anywhere that we could do, really, unprepared strips. Of course, you had to practice that. And once in Germany, we closed a motorway for a couple of weeks and we operated out of a service station and a motorway, which was pretty amazing operating stuff, frankly. So, yeah, the GR3. And then you've got the, the later airplanes, which are McDonnell Douglas designed around the same concept. Bigger airplanes. We didn't have bigger engines, although there were slightly better fuel control systems. So a hover performance was reduced. So you couldn't do so much with the airplane, but you had a bigger wing. So you, you could do other things with it. 
better in combat and the likes. So it was a different airplane, had a lot more systems on it. And when the airplane was retired through a defense review uh, some years back, it was probably the most capable airplane that we had in our inventory. So it was a sad to see it go, um, now being replaced, of course, by the F-35. But um, it, yeah, it was uh, the Harrier was a great experience for me. I sort of grew up with that and flew it throughout my flying career. Really. And of the three you flew, which one would you pick? Oh, I've got to go for the speed, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as, as a pure polling airplane, the three, but as an operating airplane, the latter variants were, were, were amazing. Was there like a, a cachet as well for being a Harrier pilot compared to someone who just takes off normally? You know, you've got the versatile takeoff and landing capability, the extra workload. You know, was there ever, ever I'm a Harrier pilot, not a tornado pilot? You always get banter and sort of gen- um, friendly rivalry between all different types of airplanes. But that's just the military way of life. And as, as human beings, we, we always banter everybody else. It's a fun way of going through life. I don't think there's anything serious about it. Everybody operates to different rules with different platforms. But uh, yeah, everybody's proud of what they do. And that's, that's where that comes from, I guess. Fantastic. So what's your third choice? Third choice, I think, would have to be the Hunter. I managed to fly while going through training. I did my tactical weapons training on the Hunter. And in fact, I was fortunate enough to catch the last course ever. And at that stage, of course, the Hunter was a 50s, 60s airplane, and we had them all around the world, Singapore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then to all that, so those fleets had been sort of slowly reduced. And all of a sudden, the last bastion of the Hunter flying was at RF Broadie in South Wales. And so they had lots of different marks of airplane. And even within the marks of airplane, so the FGA9, which is my favorite, you get in the cockpit and it was completely different from the previous one you flew because the instruments were in a different place, switch room were different. And it was just an adventure. It was, for me, I struggled when I went through flying training, although I did well on the Hawker Valley. I didn't feel that comfortable. I was always just slightly behind it. When I got to the Hunter, I came home and I had a cathartic course there and that really made me and I really did really well there. But it was the airplane, it was the character of the airplane. So it's the first time you actually have to climb up a ladder to get into the airplane. Uh, You get in and it smells like your auntie's front room. You know, it's just, it just smells old, but, um, and all the instruments are big, black and rotational. There's no, you know, there's no digital stuff. You know, the fuel systems were quite cranky. You strapped into the seat, but in modern Ejector seats, you just have one set of straps and everything's incorporated. Not in those seats, they, you had to strap into the parachute first and then strap the seat straps over the top. It all led, to, you know, and then you have a slide back canopy. It was all fantastic and it flew amazingly well. And of course, on the weapons unit, we weren't carrying that many stores. It had a very big engine. And so the power to weight was, was pretty amazing. So it was an amazing platform to learn on, really. And it's always got a sweet spot in my heart. Of the six in the hangar, that would probably be my my favourite. But uh, I'd obviously the two seat hunter would probably be right at the bottom of the list. It was a fifties attempt of getting a two seater, but of course there was so much ironmongery ahead of you to give you a windscreen big enough because they didn't have the technology to to make curved windscreens back then. That there was more iron than there was windows, so you couldn't see much really. I know some hunter pilots would probably disagree with that, but personally. Didn't enjoy flying the two seat, but the single seat was fantastic. Was it more of an analog sort of airplane, more seat of your pants rather than the, the later generation with all the safety aids and what have you? It was, it was, um, you know, um, weaponeering 
systems were were frigged. There was a very basic gun sight which we used for weaponeering, but it wasn't designed for weaponeering. So it was just a review release about an inch below that, which shouldn't be there, but if we just put it anyway, that'll do. And of course, even the simple thing of recording what you do, it was a cine camera. And the, the, the cassettes only lasted about 30 seconds. So you have a sort of, we made cardboard structures which went into our pockets to carry different cassettes. So you could easily, without having to rummage in pockets, you could slide one out, put it in the camera and put another one away. Because it's all wet film, it was, it was just hugely different. And as a young guy, it was just very exciting. That shown generation thing. Now talking about cassettes, most people won't know what that even is. <laughs> no, well, yeah, absolutely. It was just a, a metal box with wet film in it that you slid into the back of the camera. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number four. Number four. Well, I think I should introduce sort of. So that covers some of the airplanes I've flown. Now, I think if you're going to have an aspirational hangar, you've got to have a warbird in there, haven't you? Somewhere. So I've been thinking about this, and of course, the Spitfire is the market leader in warbirds, I guess, in many respects. But it's, it's a little common. I'm sure you, as you go through this, you'll have lots of Spitfires in your hangars. And although 30s technology was leading, fantastic design, amazing innovation, I think if I were going to have a warbird, I would go for the, uh, the Mustang. I think there will always be an argument about which is better. But having read a few autobiographies of American pilots operating in Europe, they had long range. They did a lot of air-to-ground weaponry, which, of course, is close to my heart. And they seemed to enjoy what they did tremendously well. And it looks a tremendous airplane, not the Spitfire doesn't, but I think in looks terms and in grunt terms, it has just the edge. They're more glamorous, aren't they? There's this sort of polished bodywork on liveries. Yeah, yeah it makes the hair look prettier. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Good choice. Okay, so number five. Number five. So should we have a completely aspirational one? So this is supposed to be an antique uh, hangar. Yeah. So yeah, let, me, let me say, if you're going to have a hangar, you've got to have an airplane to carry your mates around, haven't you? Absolutely. So I would go for a Dove. So when I first joined the Air Force, my first job, they used to give you temporary jobs between flying courses. They call holding posts. My first holding post was at Farnborough at a time when the civil service had its own air fleet. They had... Six doves and a Dakota, which I got to fly all of them. But the dove just had amazing feel. It's a light airplane, but with lots of cargo carrying capability and had pneumatic everything. So you brought the gear up, you know, like, uh, like traveling in a bus. And just had a great, great little character, which, of course, soon after I left that job, they lost, the civil service lost its, its air force and um, those were sold off, which was rather sad. I see one or two of those on the circuit. Uh, there's a, a couple in museums, which is all very sad, but I think that would definitely be in the, the hangar. Excellent. I'm sure your mates would appreciate that. Okay, so the final choice. Final choice. Well, if, if I had a hangar, then I would go for something really modern, which is probably against your rules, but I would go for something like a, ultimately the new G700, Gulfstream 700, which that's you can take your mates in style in that one kind of so but anything where they can serve wine down the back is it's got to be a good idea excellent quite an eclectic mix there yeah. in terms of like the, the all-time classic british jets is there anything that sort of stands out you think i wish i'd flown that like the lightning for example 
I, yes, I, I, fortunately, the, the lightning was still in service for some of my time in the Air Force, but I never had the opportunity to get a, a ride. I think they were working hard to fulfill a war role with that airplane with the, the short range and the, the early technology missiles that they were carrying. So operating the airplane would have been a great challenge, but the sheer thrill of flying in an airplane, which is all power, it would have been fantastic. Similar to the Harrier, but different. They were literally all thunder and lightning. What about modern military stuff? Is there anything from around the world you think I'd like to have a go in that now? Well, the two front line platforms we have, Typhoon and Lightning, both amazing looking airplanes, but for different reasons. I think the, the Typhoon is very agile, very capable, do some interesting things with it, both uh, air-to-air and air-to-ground. The Lightning is just coming to service, finding its feet, because it's deployed at the moment on the uh, carrier, and it's more a, a systems airplane. So it's all about communications, IT, data linking all of the military assets and taking that information and uh, making best use of it to, to deliver weapons. So I think the, the onus there on the pilot is very, very different, whether you're flying a Typhoon or, or a, a Lightning, but I think both of them would be a huge challenge for people to operate them well. What makes a dream aircraft for you? What, what is it you look for? Well, I, apart from the the two uh, fly your mates around airplanes, I think the others come from my my experience. And I've had a dream career flying airplanes. And uh, there wasn't one of them that I wouldn't want to fly. And therefore, I, you know, I can't not take them with me. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Simon Mead. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.